today on Cinema Oblivia, Yakmala. Another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on old, weird, out of date, out of fashion, out of style, forgotten, and otherwise unremembered films. I am once again your host, James Eldred. And who do I got joining me for today's episode? Hey, James. Uh, my name is T.L. Foster. I'm a podcaster, uh, a failed comedian, and a writer. <laughs> hey, all right. A lot, of, a lot of failure today. Let's keep it up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. TL, why don't you, so you're a podcaster and stuff. Why don't you tell some people about what you do? Sure. Um, I do a video game podcast called PNB. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a show I do with a, a couple of my friends. We're actually going up on year 10. Uh, it's I little, know that. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing we've been doing it for a while. It's funny. One of our hosts um, when we started is was in high school and is now getting married this year. So that's wow. very weird to me. Uh, but yeah, um, I we want to do a video game podcast, but I was like, I want to do one, but I don't want to do your typical video game podcast. So it's a it's a conversation between four to five friends every week that just goes off rough rails. Um, and I also do another show uh, with my good friend, Sonia Valentine, who is also mm-hmm. a filmmaker uh, called Live from the Pool House, where we go episode by episode through the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We are currently in season two. Uh, but that's like, those are those are my big things. But I, I pop here and there on different stuff. And like yeah. I said, I, I, I've, I've written movies. I've shot movies. I've, I've done it all. Cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I listened to a bit of the Pool House one. I want to get more into it, but it's been it's been a week, so I have, have mm. really haven't had the time to. But because I, I, Fresh Prince of Bel Air is one of my all time favorite shows, like mm. in the history of the world, so I, I have stolen phrases from that that I still use to this day. Um, what, yeah. like, I, I say what happened was on a pretty regular <laughs> basis. Yeah, so, it was. Yeah, it was. It's a really good show. Um, it's, it's one so of the things. <laughs> it's so good. It's one of the things. Um, uh, Sonia and I, we kind of kicked the idea around before the before the whole pandemic stuff started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were having you know conversations like kind of like threatening each other, like, oh, we're going to do a podcast together. Yep, we're going to do this Fresh Prince podcast, and then everything kind of went bad. And you know, I I really wanted to do a different show. Um, and I'd been fans of like shows that did. Kind of like episode by episode breakdown. Uh, I, I think of stuff like um, Talking Simpsons, probably yeah. the biggest corollary, Bob. you know, with uh, Bob Mackey and Henry Gilbert. Yeah. Probably the biggest corollary of like something where I was like, oh, I want to do something like that. Uh, but like one of the things I, I kind of wanted to do was I wanted to have this show and be able to talk with different creators of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and discuss something that, you know, we all have like kind of a, a common ground with. And yeah. one of the great things about doing that show with Sonia is she knows so many tremendous women of color who, um, who, you know, have a very, who are in creative fields and have a, a like a large attachment to the show. So we got to have like a lot of really cool guests on to talk about Fresh Prince. And I, if you're going to listen to that show, we don't 
kind of go like we're not gonna go beat by beat by the episode like, yeah. we'll talk about things that happen but i think the thing that i really like about doing shows like that is being able to discuss kind of the themes of the episode and then where you were at mentally when you were at that show because i think that's what's always intriguing about that yeah like i said i listened to about half an episode i really did like it i promise i will get back to it <laughs> just i've had a week so i really haven't had time to like with everything in my life going on right now that i don't want to get into it's like i'm gonna mm. just play roguelikes and not think about anything so right that's just what i've been but speaking of not thinking about things you picked the perfect movie if you don't want to think for about 90 minutes or so uh yeah exactly 90 minutes you can watch jim Cotta, the 1985 gymnast themed martial arts action movie put a question <laughs> after all those words except movie it is a movie it is um, a movie yes this was on my list because i'm an idiot and you chose it because you hate me is that why? No, that no, why? not at all. Um, okay. I so like I said, I'm you know um, also a film writer. Um, uh -huh. I I have a huge love for very earnestly cheesy movies. It um, is earnest. I'll give it that much. Yeah. <laughs> um. And and we're gonna we're gonna go more into the director Robert Klaus. Oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a big black exploitation fan, but I, I really oh, love like. Uh, I really love and and to promote another thing that I've done. I did a podcast a couple years ago with uh, Laser Tom. Time, mm, um, mm -hmm. about black exploitation films because I, I love that genre. Um, oh, okay, and we'll talk later. <laughs> yeah, okay. absolutely. Uh, but uh, you know, I love like I love Black Belt Jones, and I love all this stuff. And Jim <laughs> Cotta was one uh, when I started when I like started looking up film or like looking up film reviews. Like it would always be the one you hear people talk about, it's like Jim Cotta, Jim Cotta, right? And it's like <laughs> it's 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 so silly and dumb, and it's not like. Like I, Miami Connection is kind of the same way. And if that was on the list, I it would have been a toss up between Jim Cotta and Miami Connection. Miami I, Connection, I, also, I think, is is overdone. It is. Overdone. I don't need the podcast. I mean, this kind of is borderline, but like, right. I think I I think I have interesting things to say about it. I don't have anything to add to, to the Miami Connection discourse. I think no. that is. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. Oh my god, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> my father. Uh, but yeah, yeah no. Exactly. As as soon as. As soon as I saw this on the list, it was like absolutely. I I just I was scrolling through and there's all these like all these tremendous films that deserve to have like a time in the sun, and then I see this just straight up just Basuda. It was like Jim Carter. It's like yep, we're talking about that because I I love I love silly movies that like you could t like I said you could tell there's something that was there they just missed the part of it like five times and that's why I was just like we have to discuss this. Yeah. Cause it's it it misses a lot of points. It's a, it's a, such a strange film. And before we even talk about who's involved with it, you know who's behind it, I really want to talk about how it even got made because it is very much a product of a very specific time period. I like to talk about fads on this podcast because a lot of movies that are, are dated, you know, or kind of look you can look back and laugh at. It, it's because they are fads but based on a fad like rad and bmx bandit that's about bmx bikes that's right. bad i'm doing another episode soon about two movies that were rip that were obviously made to cash in on the mid 80s aerobics craze you know right. so fads are great the this movie is made strictly to capitalize off the 1984 summer olympics in which America dominated. Now, 
we talked before the podcast. I'm a little bit older than you. Yes. So you don't remember. I remember this vaguely. You you weren't there. <laughs> I was not there. No. Uh, matter of fact, my dad would have just my dad and my mom because they're the same age. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, like two. They're like two. They're like, not even two weeks. They're six days away from each other. Okay. Um, they both graduated high school in nineteen. 19- no, no, I take that back. They were in the army. They both graduated high school in nineteen eighty two. So, okay. but yeah, they, okay. I was. I wasn't. There was no. I wasn't even an there. idea yet. <laughs> so do you know do you know what made the 1984 Olympics so different? Um the Summer Olympics some Summer Olympics specifically. I, this is the LA one, right? Yeah, so Okay, who, yeah. What, yeah. You, who what country wasn't there? Uh 84, I'm going to say and I, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Is it East Germany that wasn't no, there? Ru- no, well, no, East Germany's there. Russia, the USSR. Okay, yeah. So in 1980 America boycotted the Olympics because they were in Moscow. Right. So then four years later, the USSR boycotted the 1984 Summer Games because they were in America, in LA. Right. Now, there are many events back then, like the Olymp- I hate the Olympics. I live in Tokyo. The Olympics are, as of this recording, the Olympics have not happened. They still might not happen. I hear right. Hogan. I hate the Olympics. They're corrupt, horrible, terrible, stupid, waste of money and time. In the 80s, the Olympics were just two sides. <laughs> like, right. Were you, was it the communists who won? The communists or the not communists? Right. The end. And Russia dominated in a lot of sports. The USSR dominated in a lot of sports because, let's be real, they, they cheated. <laughs> right, right, right. And they they big history of of uh, a lot of doping and and also they their countries the, the USSR dedicated a lot of money much more money to winning the olympics right so in events in some events they would usually win one of these big events was gymnastics they absolutely dominated in gymnastics so come 1984 they're not there and the team that's favored to win is actually china China's favor to win that the, the men's team, but they don't. The men, the uh, U.S. Olympics men's team wins the 1984 Olympics, and America had gymnastics fever. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this very vaguely. Wheaties boxes were a big deal then. You saw gymnasts on the Wheaties box. This is also the same year that um, what's it, Mary Lou Retton? I was so, about to ask. Yeah, yeah, because Mary Lou Retton is a. I mean. She is a a figure that I know of just by like pop culture stance. But again, mm. like like when I was growing up, the big Olympics were like the like when you talked about like Atlanta. sports that yeah, well, well yeah. Atlanta, yes. Well, yeah. Atlanta for a number of reasons, right? But I'm I'm thinking more like the winter Olympics and like oh, okay. when we talk about like celebrating those like those things, it was, I just remember like the Michelle Kwan years of oh, like yeah. figure skating being really big and like and Nancy and, Kerrigan, the next and Nancy Kerrigan yeah, yeah. And the Tanya Harding stuff, like stuff that's like well, well written territory. Right. And yeah, it's yeah. like, and, and I, and I absolutely understand like it, the Olympics to me, it's always so weird because I, 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 I'm a fan of competition. So I, I mm-hmm. like sports, but I understand the reasoning of dislike around sports and the mm-hmm. same thing with the Olympics. Like the Olympics, I I pay attention to it. I like 
rooting. I root for I root for the United States, but I also root for the Netherlands because that's where I was like that's where I lived for a, for a long time. So like to me, it's like I said, it's it's more sports. But is the IOC like is that a corrupt uh, organization? Absolutely. Uh, is the Olympics literally built on jingoistic like like tendencies? Absolutely. It's it's a show of force. It is military might disguise in like yeah. in gym in gym games right like like this is literally just like a it's like a gym kata kind yeah. basically yeah um, you know so but um yeah it's always been it's always weird because so the 84 olympics like you said to me the actual notifier for me is was how the 84 olympics because I'm a big basketball guy, how it uh-huh. bred into the 88 Olympics and then into the 92, oh, which yeah. is the when dream every, team. Everything changed, yeah. Yeah. It, like, yeah. so, yeah, the 84 Olympics to me, and when I used to research and look up, like, this was the last, like you said, it, it does show something that, that USSR was not there, but that was the last amateurism Olympics until we yeah. got to and, the and pro that Olympics. Plays, and that that plays a bit into the, into the discussion of Jamakata. So, Yes, the U.S. Olympics, the men's the gymnastics team won many medals. Uh, America won team all-around men. Um, Peter Vidmar won the silver. And there were also Bart Connor, who was in rad. Um, <laughs> he won the parallel, bar, the parallel bars gold. Mitchell Gaylord won the bronze. A lot of awards there. And then Mary Lou Retton won the gold individual. And so huge, huge thing. Uh, and so one person who was not there was Kurt Thomas. Right. But Thomas was an Olympic gymnast who never actually competed in the Olympics. He, going back to the 80s, 80s he won the world championships in 78, 79. He's favored to be the world champion in, eight, in, world champion in 80, fa- fa- um, favored to be the Olympics champion in 1980, but America boycotts the Olympics. So back then, as you pointed out, the Olympics amateur status was a much more important thing. Right. So he had two choices. He could keep his amateur status for four more years and try to compete in 84, or he could make that money. (laughs) (laughs) And he chose to make that money. He went on tour. He did a SeaWorld show, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Well, all kinds. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like when you look at, uh, a lot of these gymnasts in a lot of these individual sports, like the money, like you said, because a lot of these guys do, or a lot of these guys and gals, a lot of these people, like they do a lot of work to make any kind of supplemental income. So the money, especially at that time, and you would mm-hmm. know a bit more than I would, would be doing these shows, like doing oh, the yeah. SeaWorld sh- shows, doing the mall sh- shows and tours. Ice uh, capades. Doing, yeah, ice capades. Uh, Big deal. Uh, Gym gymnast meets like in in small auditoriums, like it, mm-hmm. it's very reminiscent. Like I'm a big pro wrestling fan. It's very reminiscent of pro wrestling, where like it would be like, hey, I have a big enough name. I'm going to go run these shows in these towns, and, and that's and, how I yeah. get my money. Like the Iron Sheik, yeah, Iron Sheik was a pro wrestler who became you know a pro wrestler. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. it, I was going to say is like that's also like uh, we just had a wrestler who just retired uh, uh, last year. Um, Jushin Thunder Liger, uh, another Olympic pro wrestler for Japan, who then was like, "Okay, I'll become a wrestler in the eighties. You know, it's it's <laughs> yeah. always really weird when you look at that. Yeah, and like there are some cases of Olympic athletes becoming actors. It's very rare that they become successful. The most successful of all time is Johnny Westmuller. Johnny Westmuller 
with an Olympic swimmer. He became Tarzan. Okay. And mm. all the old Tarzan, the Tarzan yell, you know, is him. Right. Like that's, and, and those movies were very big. Some of them are surprisingly influential and, and kind of groundbreaking. Like one of them has one of the first nude scenes in a film ever, um, like in a Hollywood production. And, and, you know, they don't hold up well, but they're interesting for what they were at the time. Right. And then there was another swimmer, Buster Crabber. It's <laughs> a great name. <laughs> he was in like over a hundred movies. Then there's, you know, unfortunately, yeah, Ronda Rousey. Yes, he sucks. Yeah. But yeah. she was in a Fast and Furious movie. Jason Statham was almost an Olympic swimmer. Olympic oh, okay. Yeah, he he made he didn't make the final cut, but he was he was a pretty good diver. So I think in terms of non non team sport athletes going into acting, he's probably the most successful. Right. Um. The only other ones I know of are Apollo Ono, the fig- the the skater. He mm-hmm. somehow became a TV game show guy, <laughs> and you see him all the time mm-hmm. on like reality shows and TV game shows. And then there's Harold Sakata, aka Oddjob from James Bond. Um, right. He was an Olympic silver medalist in weightlifting, and a pre-transition Caitlyn Jenner. Right. Was in the Village People movie "Can't Stop the Music." <laughs> right. She, I mean, and, and also, to be fair, she also had a movie made about her. I don't think she's in that movie, but she literally well, had a movie no, made no, about her no. as well. <laughs> um, if you want to see some good, bad action there, there's, that's your go-to. That, that movie, whew, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bad movie. Steve Gutenberg's in that. But anyway, so yeah. But at the same, so after the Olympics, big deal with... Olymp- the, the Hollywood smells money, right? They, they, right? The Olympics are a big deal. They want to cash in on this. So it was funny. I found some articles from the mid, right after the Olympics, like Hollywood's cashing in on the Olympics. And they announced all these movies. Many of them did not get made. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, there was one called Flips, which was nice, supposed nice. to be a movie about college gymnastics. And there was another one called Parallels, which was going to be a musical. Oh, dear. From the makers of Footloose. Think, now, I love Footloose. I love Footloose. Yes, it's the whitest movie you know, but <laughs> it is. It's I a fun that. movie, though. It's a, it's fun, a, fun, it's a movie. fun movie. It's a fun movie. And, Kevin, and also, Kevin Bacon's character in that is a gymnast. Right. Yeah, so there you go. But there, a few did get made. Also, there was Rad. Rad is not a gymnast movie, but it stars Bart, Bart Connor, who was a gymnast. Right, and there was Nadia, a TV movie about Nadia Comaneci, um, who were I think later married Bart Connor. Uh, so, the only other ones that got made, there was American Anthem with Mitch Gaylord. That's directed by the director of Purple Rain, Albert mm-hmm. Magnoli. That didn't was not a hit. <laughs> and then there was Flying in '86, which is an American Canadian film. That's one of Keanu Reeves' first films. Mm. Also, also not a hit. <laughs> So, I don't, you know, it's one of those things that, like, maybe it seems like a good idea at the time, but maybe they shouldn't do it afterwards. That's why Michael Phelps never got a movie deal. Right. Yeah, I I, I was, like, racking my brain. I was like, well, who really does well? Or, like, who has, like, maybe transitioned to, like, you know, in a sports narrative into into film. And I think, like you said, there's a lot of, like, like, Howie Long is probably the, like, the the linchpin or, like, you're talking about, like, Brown. 
Jim well, Brown. Jim Brown, yes. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. long. And I love well, <laughs> Jim Brown. I, I'm no, a Raiders you, fan. I, I was a Raiders <laughs> fan for a long time. I love, you know, but no, Jim yeah. Brown. Yeah, uh, Jim Good Brown, Williamson. Obviously. Good Williamson. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah I, I was. I call others. Yeah, in my mind, I wasn't thinking a lot of black exploitation because, like, in black exploitation, you could, I mean, that's, you could get like a lot of like people who did not do yeah. tremendously well. Right? But I, I'm thinking about like, I'm thinking about like, like, also Olympic athletes and like yeah. to my no, mind and yeah. this is where like when you specified individual sports it's like okay that makes it work because like in my mind it's like oh well, the answer is like it's Michael Jordan and LeBron James because like <laughs> like because like like they are Michael Jordan is technically in the if we're even using the amateurism route is uh-huh. the he's the I think he was the final basketball or NBA star linchpin that that can claim American amateurism because he was on the American team at the 84 Olympics. Uh, yeah, true. yeah, he was, he was on the American team at the 84 Olympics, did not go in 88 because he was in the, he was in the, he was actually in the league at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 92, they were like, okay, we're just going to bring the best basketball players. Yeah. We lost. Yes. Yeah. Um, Man, the dream team. So awesome. The and dream like, team is, uh, so, like I said, God. again, I hate the idea of the Olympics, the dream team. It was just like, let's go get the greatest. Let's go get a, a super team. It just run through everybody. And they I, did. I, I am not a big America rah, rah type person, but I do like the dream team. Was like, I'm all about like, yeah, America, America says, fuck you basketball. Mother. We could, we got this. And so right. like, that's the kind of kind of stupid nationalism I can get behind. It's kind of harmless, <laughs> you know, right. compared to more terrifying stuff. But yeah, I, I can't find a lot of missing about why Kurt Thomas decided to do this. I would imagine it was just money, you know. So because the amount of options, the uh, opportunities, a gymnast in his prime that can't do Olympic gymnastics, his opportunities are probably pretty small. So. Right. He probably jumped on the chance to make this movie. And what a movie it is. It has. <laughs> so- well, I also wanted to, to bring huh? up. So, like I said, there's obviously the Olympic side to it, but I also want to like. People, I think people forget, like, because at some point in the, towards the end of the 80s and into the 90s, we lost a lot of like these actual like kung fu movies that you would we consider lost in the beginning of the 80s, really. Right. But I, I'm thinking, like, at this time, we're seeing movies like my favorite movie of all time, The Last Dragon, which oh man, it's oh, so don't, good. Don't even get me going on The Last I, Dragon. I, I love it. And like, and but like, you have, you know, you have like stuff like Last Dragon, you have. Uh, the American Ninja series, which is like, yeah, so yeah, mm, yeah. I don't, so I don't mean to interrupt. I don't mean yeah, to yeah. start to interrupt. But there is a very big delineation point between the '80s martial arts films and the '70s martial arts films because the '70s martial arts films are usually imports, right? Or they, or or that one Bruce Lee movie he made in America, and the '80s ones are usually straight to video, with the exception of something like Last Dragon. They don't have real martial artists in them as the starring roles. Right. And they're usually ninja movies. <laughs> yes. 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 No, no, you're so absolutely it, right. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of the uh, the Dudikoff movies. It's like, 
I don't even I don't think Michael Dudikoff is a martial artist. No, no, he's not. <laughs> um, uh and like the his like his partner in that movie absolutely also is not a martial artist. But like you said, it's the idea of like, but these are ninjas. Like they're yeah, well, a lot of those, you know, show show Kashugi yes. is the dude who's behind a lot of those, and he was relegated to supporting it status so they can put the white guy in the lead, you know, which is a bummer because show Kashuki's pretty great. But the 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 um, main, I would say, of course, the the go to American martial arts film from the seventies is Enter the Dragon, like right. American Hong Kong co production, the Bruce Lee movie, one of the greatest. I, in my opinion, like probably top three best martial arts films of all time. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it, it it is. It's the yeah. one like just Enter the Dragon. Just when you think of like iconic films uh like kung fu films it's it's just there it's so perfect yeah it holds up and it holds up so well in terms of the action choreography and all that stuff and of course a lot almost all of that is because of bruce lee and bruce lee's awesome but that movie was directed by robert klaus robert i think i think you say his last name klaus c-l-o-u-s-e right close klaus anyway robert klaus was a director who started in the 70s. Actually, a little bit before that, he started in with uh, short films that were Academy Award-nominated films. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jim Cotta was directed by an Academy Award nominee, who was also deaf. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. He wasn't completely deaf, but apparently he was mostly deaf. And right. he had to rely on his assistant director's to help him direct the actual acting part of things. And I don't want to, I would, that's the kind of thing where you really have to trust your staff, right? Right. And I would imagine as the paychecks got smaller and the productions got smaller, his assistant directors got worse. Yeah. I I, I definitely, yeah, I can definitely see that. You know, because you look at uh, Enter the Dragon or Black Belt Jones, like also directed by him. Those are very well-directed films with very good action. And, you know, the acting in those films isn't going to set the world on fire, but it gets a job done. I mean, <laughs> right? you know. And his early films, like, they're hard to find. I've always wanted to see them. He made two movies in 1970. One is called Dreams of Glass. It's about an interracial romance, although, unfortunately, I think one of the actors is in Yellowface. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to parse out because she has. I don't want to. I don't want to assume her name is very anglicized, but she's in, in almost nothing else. So it's kind of hard to track right. her down. It is Dan DeVito's first film. Oh, okay. I wonder if he has hair. He has to, right? It's like that weird. Is that weird face? Like when you think of, especially when you think of people like who's been on television forever and like Dan mm-hmm. DeVito, you just think of him with the bald spot. Like yeah, if he had yeah. a full head of hair, it's just going to be like, Oh, this is weird. This is off. This is a bit. Yeah. yeah. But nobody remembers that movie. There was a movie he made the same year called darker than Amber, which is very hard to find, unfortunately. But if you go on YouTube and you type in darker than Amber fight sequence, mm-hmm. you will see a fight between Roddy Taylor and William Smith, not that Will Smith. And <laughs> Sorry. And it is one of the most brutal fights ever filmed. It oh, is. Okay. There's rumors that they actually there's a, got into an actual fight. And you can watch in the fight, like, those aren't fake punches. Like, they right. are beating the shit out of each other. And <laughs> I would have to imagine that got him into the dragon. And then from Enter the Dragon, Black Belt Jones. You've seen Black Belt Jones? 
Uh, yes. I, I good love movie. Blackwell Jones. Good. It's a really, really good movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like Jim Kelly. I wish I wish Jim Kelly would have had more work. He was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also has Scatman Crothers. Yes. I love Scatman Crothers. And, but from there, I really want to go through his movies really quick because they're all weird in different ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from there, there's Golden Needles. 1974 film about a statue that has acupuncture needles on it that if you place those stat if you follow the instructions on it it makes men just super hard huh that's the plot of the movie and it's it's all these people looking for this statue and it has joe don baker so there's that there's the ultimate warrior no relation which <laughs> is a post-apocalyptic movie with yule brenner and max found Sidnow, which Sounds great. Yeah. There's the Amsterdam Kill, 1977, a drug cartel movie, kind of a French Connection, you know, knockoff with Robert Mitchum and Leslie Nielsen. Hmm. I I love pre Naked Gun, pre Airplane Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. That was like a creepy show. Well, creep show, or he's in. He plays a psychotic drug dealer in a movie starring Evil Knievel. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you know who Evil Knievel is, do you know who yeah, that I is? Do. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, Look, I'm young. I'm not that young. I know. I just checked. Just checked. Just checked. <laughs> that movie also has Yoon Biao. Yoon Biao is a huge Hong Kong star. He was right. one of the body doubles in another. So Robert Close made the bastard Franken film Game of Death. Right. Which is the fake Bruce Lee movie. Young Biao basically is Bruce Lee in the majority of that film. He went on to make Jackie Chan's first big American film, The Big Brawl, which was a bomb, but. I think it's it's pretty good. I when I watched it in the nineties, I liked it. Yeah. When I it, went through my Jackie Chan phase, like when I was looking for that and found police stories and stuff like that, I liked the big brawl. I thought it was fun. And that was a fun film. So yeah. It's a silly little movie, but it's good. He's in then after that, things not so great. So he made there's a guy in this movie, Richard Richard Norton. Right. who is one of the bad guys. He's in almost all of Robert Klaus's films from this point on, because Richard Norton's a brick shit house, and we'll get to him. But there's Force 5, which I've never heard of. There's Ironheart, his last movie. That has Bolo Young. Yes, that movie rules. And that's not, yeah, <laughs> who's awesome. Yeah. Another martial arts tournament film. And he also made the both uh, China O'Brien movies. Right. With Cynthia Rothrock, which I've never seen, but those have a big following. People like uh, those. They- I, I'm a huge... So you didn't have Cynthia Rock Rock on the list. And that's fine. Uh, I'm a huge Cynthia Roth Rock, 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 Rock fan. Love both those movies. Those movies are like... They're they're like... They're 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 conceptually as good as Jim Cotta. I think it's a little bit better because Cynthia is actually a, a, a martial artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so conceptually, they're, they're a little bit better. But it's kind of that same kind of vein. Her ex-husband has a martial arts studio in Pittsburgh where I lived for 10 years. And really? You ca- do not mention her name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's the fault there. I don't I'm not saying anything bad or you know anything terrible happened there, but I apparently he's not happy. From what I heard, this is all hearsay. The rumor was always that he was not particularly happy that she kept his name. Uh. So there was that. And then and then there's another the movie his guy made right before. Jim Carter, which I have not seen, which I want to see, is called Deadly Eyes. It is a movie about giant rats that has Scatman Crothers in it. <laughs> yeah, we, we've talked about this because we're both big Scatman Crothers fans. Love Scatman Crothers. 
I, I think I have to, I think I have to also watch that movie at some point. I'm sure it's terrible. I saw clips of it. The rats are just dashings <laughs> with rat shoots with rat suits on. It looks terrible, but it could be the right kind of terrible. Shout Factory put that out on Blu-ray because of course they did. So if you want to watch that, <laughs> that's your route there. The other people who worked on this, it has it has Klaus's go-to producer, Fred Reintraub. He did a, didn't do much. He also did he also did Truck Turner though. Okay. Which is a great movie. You'll, um, I love Truck Turner, the Isaac Hayes uh, yeah. one. I just watched that again a few weeks ago. Great movie. And the person who wrote the movie is this dude named Charles Robert Carner, who's just done garbage. Like, this might be his best film. Well, no, that's not true. It's the second best film. He did write the Larry the Cable Guy movie, not the good movie. The mm. Wit- Witless Protection. Remember that? Uh, that yeah, I just remember the name. I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> no, but his only good film is Blind Fury, the 1989 movie where Rutger Hauer plays a blind martial artist samurai guy. Huh? I've never, I've never heard of that movie. That movie's awesome. That I, I, I recommend that one. I bought that in a triple, in a Blu-ray triple pack, three movies on one disc. It had that, the Chuck Norris horror movie Silent Rage which is awesome, and White Line Fever, the, uh, again, John Michael Vincent trucker movie, not about cocaine, <laughs> called White Line Fever. All three of those movies are great. I recommend all three of them. Definitely the best fit thing this guy worked on. But this movie is based on a book. Like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a nonfiction book or, or no, fiction? No, yes, oh. it's based on, oh, based okay. on a story. No, no, it's based on a, a novel. It's based on a novel written by a guy named Dan Tyler Moore. He really only wrote one novel. <laughs> this was it. <laughs> Dan Tyler Moore's life. I want this. Someone should make a movie about this man's life because his dad, well, he's Dan Tyler Moore Jr. Dan Tyler Moore Sr. was an aide for Theodore Roosevelt huh. who blinded roosevelt in one eye in a boxing match whoa yeah <laughs> like Theodore so roosevelt then, not a not a not a not a slight guy no he's so, a big <laughs> president could kick your ass he's probably in the top five yeah like, i don't know if he could but he looked he looked the part but dan tyler moore was one of the was an investment banker and one of the first members of the sec oh uh, you know, I'm not liking him. <laughs> like, like I'm looking more of his stuff. Like I don't like him anymore. I mean, like, in hindsight, a lot of the stuff is bad. When you look at it as a glance, it's interesting at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he was one of the first members of the OSS, huh. which became the CIA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The OSS is very different than the CIA. Um, yes, yes. And I would say more justifiable cause. Um, <laughs> you know, that's World War II. But right. regardless of the politics behind it fascinating person he he did mostly non-fiction books about banking and stuff like that and he wrote a book called it was a short story called the terrible game it was in a magazine i think and he expanded it into a novel and that's mm-hmm. his only book and i think there's another movie based on it that's kind of hard to find from a long time ago mm-hmm. it's like i said only thing he ever did he passed away in 1998 at the age of 90 i would love to know what he thought of this movie. Unfortunately, I cannot find any interviews. <laughs> he, pro- he probably never saw it. He probably was just like, like, oh, hey, they based something off your book and it probably got the residuals and was like, okay. Um, 
but like that's it's to me it's wild especially like having been through the concept of like of writing something right and like yeah, yeah. i i two years ago i wrote i wrote wrote and uh and helped shoot my first short film um okay. and what's always so weird is like when you th- when you have an idea of what you're going with and then the like contextually it changes so mm-hmm. much right and like for be someone to have written a short story and then i'm going to turn this into a novel which a short story in itself because of the combined nature of it you're yeah. trying to make it like this being like i'm hitting all three i'm hitting all three acts right here it's easy mm-hmm. and you can digest it and now i'm going to expand it and then to have it kind of recondense back into a movie um i would love to i would love to he- hear how his process was in yeah. hearing about these changes and i would love to know if any of his experiences in the OSS gave him ideas for this movie, you know? Yeah. Because the movie does have a very colonial vibe to it, you know? And I wonder if his maybe incorrect views of different countries did shape this. I think, like we talked before, this movie, in terms of its politics, is relatively harmless. There's nothing... It's stupid as bricks, but it's not like any it, it is so far removed from reality I, it's whatever it is but i do wonder if any of his political history and any of his government work did influence it it's strange we'll probably never know if anybody out there can find a dan tyler moore interview yo hook me up make sure it's not his son his son is also dan tyler moore <laughs> he designs ballistic helmets so and he has an interesting life too. Like he does a lot of military work, which I'm not a big fan of, obviously. But right. he, he's designed helmets to help stop head injuries for other pe- other lines of work too. So that's commendable. Yeah. I'll give him that. I, you know, I always get weird. I always get weirded out when people are like, "Oh, we're just going to use the same. We're going to just re- keep recycling this name, like the fourth, yeah. the fifth. It's like sometimes you got to break that cycle, guy. <laughs> like. Yeah, we talked about Kurt Thomas a bit. I do want to mention really quick before I go to the rest of the cast, Kurt Thomas, even he wasn't on the Olympics, Kurt Thomas is one of the greatest gymnasts in American history. <laughs> like, yeah. he was really good. He has, there are moves in the Olympics, there are gymnastic routine moves named after him. He's a big deal. One of them is banned because it's too difficult. People have broken their necks trying to do it. Right. So... Yeah, dude's a big deal. He was only in two other movies. He was in a TV movie called Circus with Billy Bob Thornton <laughs> from 1988. And he's in some movie called Slam in 2003. That's it. Sadly, he passed away in 2020. Um, Kind of young. Yeah. Forgot, wow. Yeah, it's sad. Because, yeah, he seemed like, you know, I never heard anything. Looking into the dude, he seemed like a nice enough guy. He yeah. was involved with Olympics his entire life, pretty much. He only really gave one interview about this movie, and he 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 knows it's bad. So yeah. you know he he knew that, but so at least he was self aware there. But yeah, you know his only film. Um, yeah, when I think of people like Kurt Thomas, it, it it reminds me. So there's always like, especially like in the states, 
and like you said, especially with like uh, gymnastics and a lot of these individual sports are for um, for you know the Olympics, especially mm-hmm. like around this era, started becoming like where you start factory farming basically these kids, right? Oh, like yeah. that was yeah. that was kind of thing you would take from the Russian training is you would be like, all right, well, this person is 12 and they look like they can do something or even younger than that. Younger uh, we'll, than that. We, younger than yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to feed it. And like Kurt Thomas is like kind of like the first one. And then like, I think also when you think about like how big Kurt Thomas was, I didn't think of like, cause again, I, my background is football. So I think of like mm-hmm. people like, like, uh, like uh, Steve Marinovich, uh, who was the factory farm, quarterback that you know his dad around this same era was trying to make him into the next thing or the brian bosworth or, or you manzel know, johnny manzel johnny manzel well johnny manzel is more that's more of like a that's more of like a marketing for himself type thing well, i'm thinking his about family like guys, too his family was all into that shit so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's just like i i but when i think about it, it's like these became the prototypes because of people like kurt thomas mm-hmm. who have a natural like I don't think Kurt Thomas is great in this movie. Spoilers, but um, but he has a natural charisma that you can see. Yeah, like it's, I mean, it's, the, it's yeah. the Michael Jordan thing in Space Jam. Michael Jordan is not great in Space Jam, but you see, no. like he no. has a presence about himself. It's like, oh, that's Michael Jordan, and like Kurt Thomas is kind of like has like, oh, that's somebody you should look at. You know, I I think first of all, also terrible haircut. Let's terrible like, hair, like like, it, like a forty percent mullet, but not all the way. Terrible. I don't think he's very good in this. I'm not going to blame him because I don't think anyone's good in this movie. So that could be the fault of the director. And also the script is terrible. So you can only work with what you have, you know? So like, because the the princess character, Princess Rubali, played by Techi Agbayani. Hmm. I apologize because I definitely said that wrong. She is a Filipina actress former Playboy model. She is in a million things in, in the Philippines. She's right. obviously a good actress. She also has a BA and MA in psychology, so go her. But she's obviously a smart person, obviously a good actress. She's terrible in this. Yeah. She's just terrible in it because she has nothing to work with. Yeah. I yeah. wonder if this was I wonder if this was her first American film. I'm pretty sure it is her first and almost her last American film. Yeah. Yes, it well see, let me see. She was in a Filipino American film called okay. Desire, which has John Saxon in it. Mm-hmm. So that tells me it was filmed in the Philippines. <laughs> so, yeah. Because if it's an early eighties movie with John Saxon, it's probably a low budget movie. This is her first probably real American film. Then she was in The Emerald Forest, which was directed by John Borman. That was a bomb. Mm. And then she was in, she apparently has a small part in The Money Pit. Okay. Yeah, which is a good movie. I just watched that a while ago. But then she kind of quit for a long time, went back to the Philippines, and she's acting a lot still. Right. And she's on a million different Philippine TV shows that I will not attempt to pronounce. Yeah, I, I well, my 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 best friend uh, is is Filipino, so I, I've gone to his family's house, and they have like they have the Filipino channels. Like, so she is in the show uh, Okay Ka Heriko, uh, okay. which is like it's a uh, it's a fantasy comedy series or whatever uh, uh-huh. that was like from the from the late eighties until like the uh, until like the late nineties, like a ten year oh, run. Yeah, uh she's on that show. So I was like, I've seen her before. And yeah, she she's on that show. 
Oh, yeah. Well, good for her then. I'm glad she found work. I'm glad she recovered from Jimkata. <laughs> uh, other people in this movie, the main foil, the bad guy, is Zamir, played by Richard Norton. That dude is built like a brick shit house. Mm. Like, he, he is a bodyguard. That's his real job. He was Abba's bodyguard. He was David Bowie's bodyguard. He was like kind of like Dolph Lundgren, you know? Dolph Lundgren started right. as Grace Jones' bodyguard, that kind of thing. He's an, he was an actual bodyguard. He's a martial artist. He studied with the Gracie family. Mm-hmm. So he knows what he's doing. He was in a lot of Hong Kong movies. He fought Jackie Chan and Mr. Nice Guy and City Hunter. He's in he's in American Ninja. <laughs> he's in The Octagon, which is one of my favorite bad Chuck Norris films. He's in Mad Max Fury Road because he's Australian and that movie has every Australian. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like he was a he's a quote unquote real actor too, and he's in he's in better movies than this. So yeah. good for him. Khan, the Khan in this movie, who's who's not Mel Brooks, <laughs> <laughs> but but looks just like Mel Brooks is Buck Cartalian. He is in Planet of the Apes. He's Julius, and Wait. he also was a former bodybuilder. You can't tell in this movie because he's an old man, right? But he he he's not that old because he was in The Rock. Like right. and he was in Even Stevens and Just Shoot Me and Kirby Enthusiasm and he's one of those guys that's like, hey, it's that guy, you know, type like types who's in a bagillion movies. He is also not good in this movie. <laughs> well, here's something I didn't know until literally just now. He was a pro wrestler. Yeah, he was a pro wrestler. I ugh, what? This is something I'm going to be I'm going to be looking into now because I what. Uh, yeah. pro wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. A lot of, well, you know, I would imagine, I don't know how Robert Klaus found him, but that is his wheelhouse, his fighting. So, right, you know, right, right. Thorg, Bob Scott, that dude who, who just like a mountain human. Mm. <laughs> like, he was a bodybuilder, obviously. Um, he was an arm wrestler and not in over the top. I'm, I'm disappointed in him. He's in a few movies I've seen. He's in Vamp. Vamp is the stripper vampire film starring Grace Jones. I recommend it's a it's it's a, it's a gooder. And he was in Knight Rider and a bunch of other TV shows. He directed a documentary about the Chupacabra. <laughs> I mean, look if you're in if you're in Vamp with Grace Jones, you can't go anywhere else but up. But so no, you can't go down because Vamp of Grace oh, Jones right. is a great film. No, you, that's uh, what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. You can't go anywhere yeah. down. So why not? Yeah, he has a website that has major 1998 vibes to it. Like, I'm surprised it didn't tell me to update my frames. And it, he seems to be some kind of sea explorer who sells acres of seafloor land or something. Huh. Are we talking like, is it like this, the old Space Jam website? Like, type it's, of wild? It's... I. I don't know if I said this would better or not. It's more involved. And uh, it is still updated because it has stuff about, like, due to COVID-19, we cannot ship products at this time. So, like, he's still rocking it. I mean, hey, my website was designed in 2008, and yo, it looks it. So <laughs> I, I, get, I get the problem. But it, was, it, it is always funny when you stumble upon one of those websites that looks like it was made in 1998 and is still updated. Right. But not modernized it's it's strange he's 
his character in this movie is so weird. He just kind of shows up. It's like, hey, it's Thorg. And Paul, the the main guy, Cabot, the guy Kurt Thomas plays, he's like, I'm a big fan. And like, okay, of what? <laughs> <laughs> say what he does i imagine he was an olympic wrestler in the movie maybe that was cut out who knows right but he barely has anything to do other than fight and be scary and there are two more people that are interesting because before they ship off kurt thomas to go fight in a foreign country for reasons we'll get to in a minute they ha- he has to he ha- he they of course hire two minorities to train him yes <laughs> and required by heart those seeds are so glorious. I love, I love both of them. I love that training scene. We'll I talk love about the it. Angle oh. of him walking up the stairs on his hands. Oh. I appreciate that. So good. Um, the the Japanese guy is Tadashi Yamashita, who is also a real martial artist, who did films under the name Bronson Lee, <laughs> because yep. in Japan Bruce Lee was popular, Charles Bronson was popular. I got an idea. <laughs> 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 He allegedly taught Bruce Lee how to use nunchucks. That's his, that's his claim to fame. The right. other guy is Sonny Barnes. He is in pretty much only Robert Close films and one of the Bad News Bear films, and he's in Truck Turner. And he also taught martial arts. So there are two real martial artists, one of which has a falcon bigger than me. <laughs> that bird he has. And I wish there was more with them, because like, yeah. everybody loves a good training montage. They just were cool. Like... There's like one scene where Sonny Barnes is like just riding a horse. And it's just like, I want to know everything about this guy. Yeah, he's a big man, you know? Yeah. And I have seen uh, a Bronson Lee film. Uh, Tadashi Yamashita, not the best actor. So right. <laughs> I'm glad that maybe he, maybe it was best for him to kind of stay to the one scene and then just kind of take his falcon and fly away. <laughs> I don't know. Kurt Thomas, his title, three-time world gymnastics champion. His assignment, a secret mission for the United States government. His only weapon, himself. And that's all he needs. Combine the discipline, the timing, and the power of gymnastics with the explosive force of karate. And a new, all-powerful martial art is born. Jim Kata. Kurt Thomas becomes Jonathan Cabot. He must penetrate a mountain fortress to compete in an ancient savage ritual. They call it the game. But nobody wins. And nobody lives until now. When gymnastics and karate are fused, the combustion becomes an explosion. And a new kind of martial arts superhero is born. Jim Kata. We haven't gone. I mean, this is one of those films that, like, everybody kind of knows it based on its reputation. Right. But. Jim Cotta does have a plot. So what is the what is what is the plot of Jim Cotta? So there's a there's a there's a game, which is the game. Yeah. And he's trading for it. So like that's okay. So okay. Okay. there's like 20 plots going on in this movie. Well, the, the, so 
he he Thomas plays Jonathan Cabot, who's an who's a gymnast. Yes. Because of course he is. And his his dad went to go compete in this thing called the game in a right. fake country called Parmistan. And every time they say Parmistan, I say cheese. <laughs> like without question. Parmesan is supposed to be in the Hindu Kush mountain range, which would be around Pakistan. Right. Okay. Parmistan is very vaguely Eastern European and Asian. There's no it, there's no reality to that country. Yeah. Yeah. It it's like it's a country that is like you said, I think it's supposed to be uh, it's supposed to be uh, in a, like either Middle Eastern or like around that Far East thing. Like the yeah. princess, they say is like she's at least half Indonesian. I love uh, apparently. I, I love the line. The guy says she has an interesting history. Her mother's Indonesian, right? That's it. It's That's like interesting. It's like we have to. Put, and that line was dubbed in later. Like you can tell, right? It's like I'm sure someone was like, wait, you know, her dad is is very white, and she is not. <laughs> right so, uh, somebody but like i'm even thinking of like the scene when he's walking with her in this like in that little weird city like the yeah. bazaar and like the dude who like who throws water at him <laughs> like he's like oh you're an american it's almost like fuck you and like it throws water at him right and he's just yeah. like and i'm like but what like is this guy supposed to be middle eastern is he like an italian dude like what is I, going on here i think they're playing into a lot of anti-american sentiment that was at the time a new thing in the Middle East. Right, right, right. So like Beirut and stuff like that. That like this country is very it's supposed to be it's kind of taking the most foreign aspects of Eastern Europe, Asia, and the Middle East and kind of mixing it into a pot to be like foreign stan. <laughs> right. Basically. You know? Yeah. And that's I think I'm happy they do that because if they tried to make it any more realistic, it'd be offensive. No, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that it's 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 fucking Candyland, man. Who cares? But <laughs> he, so his dad, uh, Cabot's dad, competed in the game, and he's gone. They can't. They don't know what happened to him. The government, the SIA, not the CIA. You know it's you know it's serious. They have a new agency. Right. They want Cabot to compete in the game because so the game is this athletic competition in Parmistan. If a foreigner wins if a, if a person wins they are granted a wish <laughs> and the government wants him to win so the america so his wish can be for america to install a us satellite monitoring system <laughs> in the country right it is basically hey we want to spy on this country win and it, it's like well it's not spying they want to do star wars yeah, well, yeah, 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 you're, yeah. Right. you're right, you're right, you're right, you're yeah. right. But it, it's basically, hey, man, the Cold War would have been a lot less, ter- lot less terrible if all the um, conflicts was were solved via gymnastics. I think we can agree. Like, or like via a weird game of death. Like we don't actually yeah. have to go to war. We're just yeah. gonna do a weird game of death that, like, only this guy will go. That would be that would be fair. It's the same plot of robot of robot jocks. Same plot. Yeah. Robot Jocks is a stop motion giant robot movie where ro- war has been outlawed because of nuclear war. So all international conflicts are solved with giant mechas. It, I I recommend it. But yeah, so he gets trained by the you know the the two non white people and <laughs> the the princess who everyone's like you're very lucky she's here to help you. She does nothing. <laughs> 
nothing. nothing. She does nothing. She okay. So like as a character, like I said, the actress, you know, fine. She's fine. She's fine. As yeah. a like when I look at this character, she is disinterested throughout. Like everything's happening, she's just like, I guess. Like I, I guess like even to the one part where like. When he's trying to get her to talk to him, and he's doing these flips out of nowhere. Yeah, and it's, that's the flip that's banned in the Olympics, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was just like, I'm just like, because she's like, oh, how's he doing? And I'm like, I'm just watching the scene. I'm just like, how? Like, that's like the corniest shit. Like, I was surprised she just go like, oh, and then just walk away. Um, yeah. But, man, yeah, she is just, she does nothing. She yeah, literally she's does a, nothing. She's, she's, she's not even a damsel. She's not even damseled. She's right. just nothing. She she's there to be well. She's she's kidnapped for like five minutes, and but you know she can't handle herself, which is nice. You know I'm glad she's not completely defenseless. But she's there to do nothing. The training montage is fun, but it's way too short. There's no explanation of why it has to be a gymnast. <laughs> it's like none, none yeah. other than like again he could do some some like sick flips. But yeah. That's really about it. That's really about it. They 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 then leave to go to a, the country next to Parmistan, yeah, Kalabal. And while they're in Kalabal, uh, the, my, my my favorite scene happens where, like you said, they throw the water in the guy's face, and then he says, "Oh, there's some anti-American sentiment here, but it's not too bad." Ugh, arrow dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I, it, it's so th- this movie. Like for a movie where a lot does like it it meanders in points and then all of a sudden it'll just do like you said it'll do something like that it's like oh you weren't paying attention here pa and like yeah. wait what what are you yeah. doing but it's it's just almost a comedic timing with the arrow it happens twice way later in the film when the dad comes back right spoiler like again also like don't wor- if you're worried about spoilers why are you worried about what's Jim Carter don't don't be um. The dad's like, I love you. You can do it. Arrow to the back. <laughs> it's, it's, it's some good stuff. But then they get to Karabakh. They get to Parmistan. And the movie, like, I feel like up to that point, it, it, the movie at least moves at a pretty good pace. Mm. It has the first fight scene in Karabal where luckily there's a horizontal bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, the one thing I need. Here it is. <laughs> Yes, not even the most forced of those scenes. We'll get to the more forced one later. Right. Yeah. He he he's running away from all these bad guys, and thankfully there's a there's a horizontal bar between two buildings, which which he can then use to with his unbeatable technique of spinning in a circle. How can you stop it? I like it when he hits the for, he hits the innocent person in the face. Like, are you okay? You're okay. Bye. Runs away. It's like you concuss that dude, man. Get him to a hospital. Like Americans. Ugh. But. <laughs> Yeah, the the all the preamble to the game is nonsense. Like the political stripe of the country. Yeah, like I. So I watched this movie. Uh-huh. I know obviously. you better have. Uh, obviously, <laughs> uh-huh. I just don't get. Like, is the Khan supposed to be the 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 president or the czar? And then, like, like it just seems like there's. It seems like there's just so much going on without explaining anything, and it makes no sense about it. Like, so the Khan is the, is it's 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 a monarchy, right? Right, like it's, right, it's right, the, right. You know, and he's the the leader, but he's very progressive for that type of country, and he wants to bring the country into the twenty first, the twentieth century. 
you know, right. it took him 85 years, but they're ready to get there. <laughs> and but his right hand man, Zamir, Zamir doesn't want that, right? He wants right. he wants to be a totalitarian leader with ninjas. And you know, I get it. Ninjas are cool. Yeah. And there's also, like I said, there's also a faction of people, the 20s. Yeah, the 20s. Who, yeah. who are who are also trying to push it. It's like a weird, it's like trying to say something about progressivism without saying anything about progressivism. I think it's you're just giving them so too much weird. credit, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> Well, yeah, I forgot to mention that this the the game is also a death game. Like you could you totally die. Like yes. they they and uh, the evil Zamir is using this to his advantage because in addition to wanting to control the country, what else does Zamir want? Um, the princess. Why am I blanking on this? The princess. Uh, the princess. Oh yeah, he wants the yeah he wants the the whole thing is the princess. Yeah. I yeah. don't know why I look on that. That's a, hey, man, there's just so much story, it's hard to keep up. It's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. The, you know, of course, uh, Jonathan is in love with the princess, and she loves him because, <clears throat> you know. and But Zamir is against that, wants to kill Jonathan, kill everyone else, stop Western influences from getting into his country, which, hey, I get that part of it. Right. <laughs> But apparently, but like you know, you have to take into the fact that the country kind of doesn't want that. So democracy, um, and so then the game becomes what was already a death game becomes a corrupt death game as Zamir and his troops just immediately start killing all the combatants. And the the what is the, the, the there's barely a game like right? It's yeah, like, <laughs> it, it's like it's it's only a game of like. Like it's almost like you know, uh, the like dangerous game, or even oh, yeah. like I, I think like to me when I when I the first time I saw this movie, I was getting like weird um, battle royale parallels because of like just like the setting and like it's like you said it's barely a game. It's like an alliance to take down one dude, and it's just like, but like who else is like? There's other yeah. contestants, but it doesn't seem like it. Well, but even when there are other contestants, it's just like the game itself is so basic. They run for a long time. They climb up a rope. (laughs) (laughs) They climb across a rope bridge. Right. And then they go to the village, which we'll get to. But it's not like, it's not really an obstacle course. It's just kind of an endurance run. Like, I feel like that's a big missed opportunity. They sort of had more, like, maybe death traps. I guess, you know, right. Or some, what are you, those, like those pitch of spikes or more than just ninjas kind of chasing them. It, it feels like they could have really made more of the game if they would have expanded on what the risks of the game are other than ninjas chasing you. And then that's scary, but <laughs> there's not much to it. Right. There is the village at the end of the game, which is, 
Whew. What's what's in the so what about the village? Uh it so that's when I was like, what movie am I watching? Because like it it just it it turned it like it's weird. Like it almost well, the vill- I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The the village is the final part and, and what makes the village so dangerous though? They have to get through this village. Cause the villagers yeah, like they're just all cr- like the villagers. Like it was almost like a zombie movie. I was yeah, like, they, "What's going on here?" Yeah, they they say that they put that's the that's this country's version of an insane asylum. You know, like the the Khan is portrayed as this loving kind of out of touch ruler, right? Like, right. he's a nice guy, but this is his country. He's in charge of a country that throws all its mentally ill into a walled in village where they can kill each other, <laughs> and has a death sport. <laughs> right. I don't I don't think the Khan is as liberal minded as you, as the movie wants you to think it is. The village scene is it goes on forever too. Yeah. And, and like the only thing that was like I don't even know if it was redeeming. It's just like all of a sudden, oh my dad's alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, there are a few things about the village scene that stand out to me. One is the huge buildup before the fight of just random crazy people. Right. Like, there's the one crazy person who touches, who f- tries to fight him, touches a pipe, and then because he touched this pipe, cuts his own hand off. Yeah. Who knows why? There's there's somebody just kind of polishing a scythe, you know, as you do. It's Tuesday, time to polish my scythe. There's there's the monk with a bare ass. <laughs> the yeah. guy. And then there's the guy with the fake face on the back of his head. <laughs> it's just it. It literally is like it. It, it felt like another movie was happening. Yeah, it was like it's like we're going to do another movie halfway through this. And there's a lot of the a lot of the fights in this and the 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 rope bridge part beforehand does one of my things I hate the most in an action film is for whatever reason the movie doesn't use a lot of actual slow motion. Mm-hmm. What he'll what they did is they filmed it at regular speed and then slowed it down afterwards. And that's right. how you get that really choppy slow motion that's really blurry. And it it's I it's terrible looking. It's like this guy made Enter the Dragon. What the hell happened, man? Ugh. It you know, you work with the actor that you have and the limitations with the actor that you have. But even like then I feel like you'd want to use more real slow-mo because like the gymnastics routines forced as they are, they look good. Like, right. you know, Kurt Thomas, good gymnast, you know, lean into it. They do the, the of course, I think the most infamous scene in this film is in the village. The 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 climax of the fight before he's rescued by his dad out of nowhere, who just kind of appears like I've been here the whole time. Yeah, why not? He's surrounded, right? That all the villagers are coming to get him. But Kurt Thomas has a secret weapon. <laughs> a pummel horse. <laughs> it's like you said, it's the like, hey, what is what is our actor's strength? Uh well, he's really he's a really good gymnast. Pummel <laughs> horse? Absolutely. That makes yeah. sense. So yeah, in the middle of in the middle of this town square, there's just this like it looks like it looks like Gears of War cover. 
right? Right. <laughs> of just like <laughs> this waist-high wall that for some reason has two handlebars on it. And he uses that as a means to deliver just nonstop spinning kicks until he can escape. It is the stupidest shit. Like, and apparently they wanted to film it without the handlebars, but it hurt his wrists. Oh, so I mean, look, if you look, if we're already doing this fumble horse scene, like, let's just go ahead and let's just, like you said, like, I, it would have been, I think it may have been a little bit like aesthetically, like, like, oh, okay, that makes sense, but it still does it. So, like, I'm no, okay with yeah. them being, what is the most comfortable way of you doing this, sir? Well, I feel in that case, what you do is you combine shots of it without the handles for, like, the, the long shots, and then you film it so you don't see the handles. Mm, yeah. Because then yeah. he's just doing this dope shit on a wall, and at least it's still stupid, but it's slightly less contrived. It's, oh, thank God there are these two handlebars here for no apparent reason. I remember when I showed this to my friend a few months ago, because I've watched Jim Carter now twice in the 12-month period, thanks to you. I, <laughs> I, we get to that point, and I pause it, and I'm like, I go to my friend, like, look what's on the screen. And he's just like, I hate you. <laughs> like, that's a pummel horse. <laughs> and he pummel horses his way to freedom. He fights Zamir. Also, Thor gets killed literally like a pig. He's just, you know... In one of the more gruesome scenes in the movie, he yeah. stabbed with pitchforks and surrounded by pigs. But uh, Cabot escapes. Thomas, whatever actor name, character name, doesn't matter. He's, he's playing himself pretty much anyway. He escapes. <laughs> he kills the bad guys. And then we're told he kills the bad guys, gets the girl. His dad, who was shot in the back by an arrow, is still alive. Yes. He <laughs> leads then, his dad to the end. Like, yeah, it, and then there's a freeze frame that says and america got the star wars <laughs> defense system installed the end and it's like oh it's like but what else, like there's like you said there's so much else that that happened that you just won't let us know like what else happened like uh I, man like it what a wild ride at the end of that movie like that's the thing it's just like and I talked about it is it seems like there's like 20 movies happening at one time. And it's it, just like it's yeah. just wild. There's 20 movies happening when nothing's happening. Like like right. like when he gets to the other country beforehand, everyone double crosses him. Right? Like the entire team of Americans, excuse me, the entire team of Americans working with him try to kill him. And you never know why. And then the dude, Paley, the SIA agent, shows up out of nowhere you never know how or why and he kills all the bad guys right at the exact same moment he right, right at the exact last moment never explained all this stuff about who are the other people competing right like, there's you never learn anything about these. they seem to be american except most of them there's the one the one asian man but mm. the rest of them seem to be american what are they doing there were they trained by the sia what's their wish because one of them going to win and just be like, no, cocaine and prostitutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, see, it's, it's the thing, like, the thing about Inner Dragon, right? They take the time of, like, hey, you need to know who all these people are. You yeah. know, like, it, it might be cursory. And, like, they're here to build up Bruce Lee. But that's the point. They're here to build up Bruce Lee. Yeah. 
and and they give those characters like in 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 uh Enter the Dragon, Jim Kelly and John Saxon's characters get a very short backstory, you know, and right because also also Enter the Dragon is an ensemble film and intentionally so they wanted to put a black guy in there because they knew at the time martial arts films did better in areas with more black people like you know they tied into the black exploitation thing that that's that's why there are so many of those crossed together and they put john saxon in there so there'd be a white guy right <laughs> you know so that's that that is crass marketing but they do it well like those characters have ownership of themselves they are actual people nobody here has any character like there's two guys in those there's two guys in jogging shoots <laughs> right that's that's them that's them how high can i A lot of people, do you think, so you, you wanted to talk about this. So like, do you think it's so bad it's good or just bad? I think it is, man, (laughs) how do I quantify it? Well, no, and the reason why I say that is like, again, as someone who's worked on film, it's really hard to get your vision out there exactly how you want to. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, I think it's a cluttered mess. But I think it's also a beautiful mess in the same point. Like, cause there are when when a movie should do a good, bad, or a different movie, it should leave your audience like entertained, you know, entertained yeah. and, and taking something away. And while I think like if we're talking about structurally, if we're talking about thematically, if we're talking about any kind of like like binary way of look, looking at like how a film is rated good or bad. Yeah. I think this is objectively a terrible film, but like <laughs> yeah. every time I watch that movie, I there's something I find that I absolutely enjoy. And I yeah. think like that's, it's one of the things I get really frustrated when I hear people talk about movies now, or like when you watch movies now, like there would never, there, there couldn't be a Jim Carter made with the budget that is made now. Like a Jim Carter would be something that you'd put on YouTube. And like it would just live there, right? Or be self-aware, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it like, would be... like Sharknado, like yeah. it'd be, yeah. And I hate that shit. Like <laughs> yeah. I want, I want Ernest Cheese. I, I like a nice, you know, the they were trying and they failed. Like like Miami Connection. Like Miami Connection right. is a good example of that. Or have you ever seen any Andy Sedaris films? Uh, name some... Hard Hard Ticket to Hawaii. We'll talk later. Yeah, um, yeah no, I don't. I don't think I have, but I think it's something like, um, like Birdemic is the worst film I've ever seen in my life. Like, just well, like how it's and it's not fun. It's not fun. Yeah, but you know, there is an I, earnestness to it, right? And well, yes, that it, it is earnest. I'll give it that yeah. much. You know, I would say, or um, there's a director. There's a, there's a director named um, David A. Pryor. He made a movie called yes. Deadly Prey. Yeah. yeah. So know, like yeah. that's the that's the kind of earnestness I like. It's like right. I got an idea for a movie and a guy with muscles. Let's go. You right. know? So I, I appreciate that from this, but it's just and an action movie, like 
as we're recording this a few weeks after Mortal Kombat came out, the new Mortal Kombat movie. Mm. And did you see that movie? I have not seen it yet. I hate it. And I don't right. hate it in a fun way. It's a poorly made action film. And like people are like, what did you expect? And I'm like, well, I expected a movie that had good fight scenes and it didn't have it. Right. And so it fails. Same thing with Jim Cotta. Like Jim Cotta, if this movie was made, if this was the exact same movie, exact same script, exact same story, exact same everything, but it had dope as fuck fighting scenes, then you could laugh at the stupid stuff and enjoy that. Right. But the fight scenes, as as talented as that man is, there's no choreography there. He's just spinning. Right. Well, it's <laughs> it's like um. So it's again, this is me defending the Last Dragon because like I I had my friend who the never Last seen, Dragon's great. Yeah, I well, I love the Last Dragon. Right. Oh, I had my man. friend who'd never seen the Last Dragon before. Like he actually rented a movie theater. Uh, so we can watch it because like we're in the middle of a pandemic. And but oh, he was like, oh, yeah, oh. and he was like, he was like, I know you love this movie, so this is what we're gonna do. And you know, and like he watched, he was like, yeah, you know, he's like, I didn't like, he's like, he's like, yeah, it's just it wasn't for me. And I was like, I get it because if again, if we're looking at like, like, because there's things in that movie like that I love, but I'm like if you're looking at like this ain't this ain't Citizen Kane or you know like these like theoretical like these <laughs> these masterpieces, but like he said. There's so many cool fights. And there like, are so many <laughs> cool fights. And that movie, not to go talk about too much about Last Dragon. We said this an episode on Last Dragon because it's such a good movie. But there is the scene in Last Dragon with the mobster and his wife. Yes. And he says, you're just getting by on your tits. And she says, you're just getting by on my tits too. Right. And that's good writing. That's very good writing. The the writing in Last Dra- Last Dragon is almost like it it walks a tightrope of being intentionally funny, unintentionally funny, with great fight sequences, and you know rhythm of the night. <laughs> rhythm so, of the night. A song. This is before Debarge does. Who is Johnny? Which is their their breakout song. Look. No, if you ever want to do it, the breakout song was of the night. Well, I mean, the breakout song was rhythm of the night, but I'm talking about who is Johnny is like a, a wider audience. Like, oh, who is this DeBarge guy? Oh, the, this DeBarge game. Oh, they did rhythm of the night, and then they they become DeBarge, right? Like, yeah, rhythm, yeah. It, it's we could we can yeah, literally we'll, do a we'll, whole. We'll, we'll put a pin in that for later, man. We'll yes. put a pin in that for later because yes. I love yes. I love Last Dragon. The Last Dragon is, is one of my death. favorite films of all time. I love the Last Dragon. Really so much. quick <laughs> about this one, mm. I love. One of my favorite things in doing this podcast is looking in old newspapers to see what people were talking about at the time because the overwhelming majority of newspapers are not really available online like in a digital format. You have to look at scans, you know? And that's how you get a real idea of these things. You can't just, like, you go to Wikipedia for this. It's like, Maxim says it's one of the worst movies ever made. Well, who gives a shit what Maxim thinks? Like, right. I don't it's, an aggreg- it. it's an aggregate of people who are like, oh, I heard people didn't like this, so I'm going to yeah. say it's also bad. Yeah. No, <laughs> so digging into this, so first of all, this movie was not screened for critics. Absolutely not. There's no way it would be. <laughs> but that's so pretty bad. rare back then. Mm. For a, a major studio release to not to get screened, that's pretty rare. Even when it was announced before it came out, people were making fun of it. <laughs> There's a dude, a sports writer named Steve Hummer for the Palm Beach Post. He said, 
Kurt Thomas is hoping to become a major star with this vehicle. That's like trying to win the Daytona 500 in a Savette. <laughs> you know, and every review is bad. Every review is bad. Gene Siskel said it's almost good. It's so bad. Like he was, so that's, that's even when it came out, people were like, you know. Right. <laughs> um, but my favorite ones are Michael Wilmington from the LA Times says, no matter how bad you think Jim Carter is likely to be, it often surprises you by getting much worse. <laughs> Which, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's and, fair. Yeah. And the the best one, though, is uh, Mike Rickety from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram says, Thomas sits on a horse like a drunken Lee Marvin and Cat Ballow, and he speaks his lines like R2-D2. Uh, Chuck Norris would have this boy for breakfast if he had a hankering for milk toast. Wow. <laughs> and looking at the end of the year, it was on a ton of end of the year worst of lists. It was nominated for Razzies. The Razzies suck, but it's still a good barometer to tell you yeah. how how well known something bad was. And it went on cable TV pretty quick, and it was on Cinemax a lot and HBO a lot. And I think that's how it found its audience because nobody saw this in the theater. <laughs> this movie came out May 3rd, 1985. It opened in 10th place with $1.2 million. Its final gross was less than $6 million. It, it was beaten, looking at the top box office that week, the number one movie in America, May 3rd, 1985, is Chuck Norris's Code of Silence. <laughs> <laughs> Other films playing that beat it, just one of the guys in its second week. A pretty good 80s teen comedy. Mm. Um, and Gotcha, a terrible spy movie, a comedy, sex comedy. Police Academy 2, in its sixth week, outgrossed this. The Eric Stoltz share drama mask in its ninth week outgrossed this the burt reynolds stick <laughs> in its second week made more money than jim Carter. my favorite stat here though is completely unrelated to jim Carter. beverly hills cop in its 22nd week <laughs> made more money. Beverly Hills Cop held the record for the longest at number one until Titanic. I mean, it's a really good movie, though. It's, it's a, a really like, good movie. It's and a it, really good it, movie. It's a decade-defining film. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a big deal. But yeah, it, it vanished. The following week, it's not in the top ten. It went straight. It went to the budget theater pretty quick. It was, in, it was on videotape later that year at a time where it usually took longer for videos to get movies to get on video. Right. And it was gone forever. It had one VHS release in a giant box. I love the giant box releases. That every video store had, every video store had Jim Carter, and it's worn down. But any store I went to, we had that at my family store until we sold it, mm. <laughs> the store, and it didn't get released again on DVD until 2007, when they did a poll. Warner Brothers did a poll to release some movies, and it won. <laughs> but I, I would have to say that's because of the MS, the MS3K crowd, right? Because like this well, is a that, very that's, famous that's one. For, it's for the riffing. It's yeah. It's, it's fun to make fun of, and like it is a fun movie to make fun of. Like that podcast, um, how did this get made? They've talked about it, I think. Mm -hmm. And 
MST3K has referenced Jim Cotta, and it's it's the kind of thing that's like when you think when 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 Pete when the when somebody who shouldn't make a movie makes a movie to this day people will bring up Jim Cotta. Like, when there was talks of, hey, Michael Phelps would be an actor, people were like, no, Jim Cotta. <laughs> it, it has that legacy of a legendarily bad idea. Right. And I think for that, it will always have a place in history. <laughs> so, is there anything else you have an overwhelming need to say about Jim Cotta? Uh, it... <laughs> One again, I want that black guy on the horse more in the movie. If I could read back and, and do it, I, here's the thing. Okay, what's I the think thing? there is an interesting movie to be made. Yeah, totally, totally. Kata. Like, yeah, it, I would love to. Like, it was like, hey, give me a strap of writing a, a script of a Jim Cotta remake. But that's it. It's 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 fine. It's it's <laughs> capital F fine. <laughs> that's it's a capital F, F all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't. And I would say if if this if this is your style of cheese, like if you like Jim Cotta, and well, if you like watching Jim Cotta, and you want more up this alley, I recommend. Like you, we both said Miami Connection. Yes, yes. I recommend any canon film with ninjas. Yes. I think you won't be disappointed there. I recommend Deadly Prey. And I recommend a movie that I love that not many people have seen called Raw Force, which is kind of the same thing, but with zombies. Mm. So <laughs> mm. those are yeah. all good ones and and that kind of stuff. I think, but to be honest, I think almost all those films, if then they're, they're not they might not be better from a technical standpoint, but they're more fun to watch than yeah. Kata. Like Miami, yeah. I think Miami Connections is a adjectively worse film. Definitely more fun to watch. I, Definitely more fun. Miami Connection is one of two films that I watched three times in three days. <laughs> uh, because I watched it with one friend, then we took it to a friend's house and we watched it again. Then I took it to another friend's house and we watched it again. The only other movie I've done that with is Drunken Master 2. Mm. So, for different reasons, obviously. Yeah, so, yeah. Yes. Miami Connection, much better, so bad it's good. Jim Cotta, also, like, if you just, like, if you're like me and you like seeing how, like, seeing these kind of strange artifacts of something that shouldn't exist or just like of a time period, because I do think even though Jim Cotta's a bomb, it's a more, it's very indicative of the era it was made in. And right. from that standpoint, maybe from a film history standpoint, it's worth checking out. Any other standpoint, nah, don't, just don't. It's funny, but also you can only really get it on SD, so it looks like garbage. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no there's no HD, no big HD Blu-ray. Man, how about a 4K Jim Cotta? They're releasing a 4K How the Duck. That's true. We can dream. But anyway, I think we'll sum up there. <laughs> uh tl man thanks again for coming in i really appreciate it oh no uh, i i appreciate you for letting me have letting me on here to talk about this garbage kung fu movie <laughs> garbage garbage movie so where can people find you on the old internet uh sure uh you can follow me on twitter i'm at travis l foster uh you can follow me on twitch i'm at twitch.tv slash bison i stream uh fairly frequently uh usually nintendo stuff but i i try to do everything uh and then like i said you can listen to podcasts that i do pnb at pnb cast on twitter um and then live in the pool house pool house live on twitter so that's that's it that's where you can get me 
Yeah, I'm definitely checking out that Fresh Bench one soon, I promise. And you can find me on Twitter at Lost Turntable. I have a website, LostTurntable.com, and I also do another podcast occasionally with Jeremy Parrish and Elliot Long called Alexander's Ragtime Band. We talk about progressive rock music, if that's your thing. And I recommend checking that one out. But as always, that's it for today. Um, Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you again soon for another episode of Cinema Oblivion.